This is Hear It Now on Prairie Public. I'm Doug Hamilton. And, of course, everyone has heard about the great development in western North Dakota. The oil patch is booming, all kinds of jobs opening up there. Well, it turns out there are jobs in other places in the state as well. And to get kind of the uh, 10,000-foot view of North Dakota's job picture, we are joined today by Phil Davis. He is an area manager for Job Service North Dakota. He's in Bismarck. Phil, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. All right. He joins us from our studio in Bismarck. And Cindy Sanford joins us by phone from Williston, where she is a service manager for Job Service North Dakota. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Uh, Phil, let's start with you. Let's get the, let's get the big picture. Uh, what's the state of employment in the state of North Dakota? Well, um, we, still very strong. Um, currently, at the end of January, we have uh, 18,500 jobs available. Um, we had a little bit of decrease uh, from December, but that's uh, mostly seasonal jobs. So we're still looking very strong, and uh, job seekers are are still coming to good old North Dakota from uh, you know everywhere across the United States. It seems like in the last uh, eighteen months. Well, you say there are eighteen thousand five hundred jobs available. How many people are looking for those jobs? Well, I think it changes from day to day. Um, Every uh, week we get a report and we have uh, another 500 people that registered on our site, jobsnd.com. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of normal. Um, and then we th- you throw in probably another 500 folks that live in North Dakota. So we're probably looking at 1,000 every week that are, um, you know, actively searching. And that, uh, you know, it, it does exclude some of the folks that just walk into our offices too. Um, they might not have registered and they're here just to look for a new job or uh, start a new career path. But it uh, suggests that uh, there are lots of jobs and uh, they're there for the taking, huh? There sure are. And it's really, you know, it's just not uh, out in the oil patch. Uh, you know, we hear about the oil patch and the number of jobs available out there, but it's it's really across the whole state of North Dakota. And, uh, you know, it, it's a great place to be right now, low unemployment, um, high jobs, um, you know, and it's it can be anything from office administrative support to material moving truck drivers, uh, the medical field, um, food preparation, construction, insulation. It, it's really across across the board for job openings. Cindy, I noticed in the Williston Wire that uh, in January there were 12 job fairs in Williston, eight of them in one week. How'd you do? Um, we did well. Um, I think everybody went out fairly happy. Um, every every single um, employer that came in um, did hire somebody. Um, we had 257 people, I believe, that attended the different fairs. And they all got a job? No, oh, they didn't okay. all get a job. But the, but the employers, I, I see. The, the, yeah, the employers all um, they all hired someone, and you know that's another area on our website that's statewide if someone is interested in looking at what the job fairs are across the state you know when you go to jobsnd.com it's go jobs fair job fairs and you can see all the job fairs that are happening across the state and you've got one coming up in march we do march 28th we are having one at the airport international inn we have uh, 67 employers registered right now and we're thinking we'll probably end up around 75 employers and you're not and looking just for uh, for oil field workers, as as uh, Phil said. You're looking for all kinds of workers, right? Correct, and that's going to be on our job fair list down. Um, we have teachers. Um, a lot of the schools are part of that. Um, a lot of the service companies, um, you know, from retail to the food service, um, construction. 
We've got oil field, it's a whole gamut. Um, we really have a nice group that has registered so far uh, all across the board. Phil, let's just back up a bit here and, and uh, describe what Job Service North Dakota does. Now, I know it, it connects a, a worker with a company or vice versa, but how does it actually happen? What, what happens when uh, a worker looking for a job walks into Job Service North Dakota? Well, the first thing is we, we want to understand what they're there for. Um, you know, what, what's their background? Uh, what are their, uh, you know, future holds for them? I mean, as far as what are they interested in? And we try to get them registered on our website uh, when we do have time. Uh, and I'm, I'm referring to Cindy's office. I know up there it's, it's not a lot of one-on-one time we can give the customer. But we sit them down, we take them through our website, get them registered, and then, uh, okay, what are your interests? Well, okay, here's a, here's a job opening right here for you. Um, what are your skills? And that's, a, that's the main thing, matching the skills to the employer's opening. Is and there a, a kind of a standard time, length of time it takes to make that connection? I realize different jobs are, are, you know, have different kinds of uh, availability or are more difficult to fill, but is there some sort of a ballpark? Well, we've always heard it, it usually takes between, for every job that a person uh, secures, it's going to take seven to ten interviews to go through okay. uh, that process to, to land that job. Uh, Cindy, how, how many people in a day come through your office? Uh, we're average right now. Um, January was about 100 a day. We're right at 100 people a day come through uh, the office. And like Phil said, we um, help the ones that don't have quite the computer skills, but those that have computer skills are able to get on, they register. We highly recommend that they put the resumes on because we have a lot of companies that will go on to our website. Um, We work with the companies. We put in the jobs that they're looking for, and those companies also will go on to the website and search resumes. You know, if they're looking for keywords, so you might be, I'm going to say electrician because that's a high-demand if you're an electrician, so someone's looking for that, and you have electrician as a resume title, they'll pull that up, and they may call you to come in and interview. You can put up to seven resumes on our website, you know, on the site. So that's another way to to use our site. Also, we also encourage people to look at. You know, one of the bi- biggest questions is, well, how much money am I going to get? Um, we, again, we send them to our website, the ND. The, at, on NDWIN, and it kind of gives them an idea what trucking is making and you know the different construction. So it gives them a good idea um, what what you can look for. And if people There's so re- much information on our site, I was going to say if people really want to see a lot of information, they can go to ndworkforceintelligence.com, mm-hmm. loaded with uh, charts and graphs and monthly reports and things like that. Uh, what? Uh, When I was reading the Williston Wire, Cindy, I I was struck by something that you uh, ran into, and that was companies that were unaware of Job Service North Dakota. Uh, Is that very common? Um, It's more common than I thought, I guess. And I've only been here for 14 months, but we have a lot of people that come in. Um, There are a lot of companies that, uh, headhunter companies that are out here, too, but when they come in, the first thing they ask us is, is, how much does it cost to post a job with job service? And, of course, how much does it cost? It is free. There you it, go. You know, it doesn't cost anything to, to register with us. Um, so it's just, 
you know, a lot of people are coming from all over, and, and in some states, um, job service is not free. They have to pay for that service. So when they come into North Dakota, um, they're just assuming that we are the same as it is from an, you know, the state that they came from. Phil, is, uh, along with all of this economic development in western North Dakota, uh, we've got a fair amount of construction going on statewide, certainly there too. Is construction a booming area in job services uh, portfolio? Yeah, it sure is. Uh, right now on our uh, website, we have over 1,000 job openings in the construction field. Um, it just, it's crazy here in Bismarck as well as Williston. I know uh, our, our folks out in the eastern part of the state, Grand Forks and Fargo, are reporting the same thing. And it's funny you mention that because uh, here in Bismarck, um, we're going to be having a construction job fair on April 4th out at the 4-H building. And that's our 17th annual it has been going on. And uh, we usually have about 25 employers, um, and normally we see between 200 and 400 people show up for that. So it's, uh, it's always an exciting time for us. Are you looking for anyone or skilled tradesmen? Um, it's really anyone, uh, entry-level um, the roofers, that type of thing, all the way up to you know your construction foremans uh, will end up getting uh, hired here. What are the job training opportunities for workers who you know want to try something different or want to move up their skills? Um, I would say you know that's uh, on the job is is what we we see it quite quite a uh, a bit of. We also got a, a new program here in North Dakota. Um, we received a grant from the Department of Labor called Skill Build North Dakota. And it's really wrapped around our oil field industry, and folks are interested in that. They can come into any of our job service offices located in the state. And it's uh, training that uh, we provide if they, they are unemployed or they need to maybe improve their, their uh, workforce skills. Uh, we'll send them to like a, uh, no, let's, let's pick out truck driver training. We'll send them to a two-week, or I'm sorry, a six-week training class. Uh, maybe it's in Minot or Williston or here in Bismarck or out in Fargo. And then, uh, you know, we help uh, pay for those uh, type of classes. So it is a great program going on. Um, that was something that we were lucky enough, like I said, to get from the Department of Labor, and that's been uh, going really strong. We're um, about halfway through that program now, and uh, it's been putting quite a few people uh, into the workforce. Well, uh, the military activities of the last decade or so have created lots of veterans in North Dakota. Any opportunities for them? Yeah, there, there's a huge opportunity. I'm a veteran myself. I was in the Air Force for 21 years, and I came back home to Bismarck and found myself a, a job back in, you know, with, with job service, which is, if you'd asked me a year before <laughs> I was getting out, <laughs> job service, I didn't know what that was even about. But, uh, you know, outside of, of government, there is all kinds of uh, opportunities for our veterans. And, and most um, companies that we find, the employers are really vet-friendly. Um, I know in, in Williston at Cindy's Job Fair, we're going to be opening up the doors an hour um, the first hour, I should say, of that job fair is going to be for veterans only to come, and they're going to be, uh, you know, kind of giving that priority of service to our veterans and thank them for everything they've, they've done for our wonderful country. Cindy, you mentioned this a little bit when we spoke earlier, but we know the oil patch is booming, that uh, there are oil field jobs that have been filled, and maybe there'll be some more, <laughs> obviously. But what about all those employment sectors that support people that, are moving into your area, the service areas, for example, service jobs. Those are increasing, you know, constantly. Um, you know, just, I think last week we had two two new restaurants open up. It might have been a little two weeks or the first of January. Uh, you know, restaurants seem to be going up. Uh, hotels. There's been a lot of hotels in that service type of industry. Um, carpet cleaning has. 
started. There's someone who came in today who is doing um, snow removal. Um, they're cleaning office buildings. Um, just anything that anyone can even think that would be tied to any industry as a service is is going out there. There's all kinds of retail. Um, all of those sectors are, are growing, and people are looking for jobs in those areas also. Well, uh, Phil, uh, how much of the activity of Job Service North Dakota is uh, due to what I might call churn? That is, uh, people who get a job, but, ah, you know what, I want, uh, I want this better-paying job, that kind of thing. I mean, how many people are coming through more than once? Oh, I, I guess I couldn't give you a value on that, but uh, I, I know we, we, you know, we do see kind of our repeat customers looking, you know, just to improve their, maybe it's their way of life, maybe they have something going on with their family, they need a little bit extra income, or um, I think there was a little bit of some press here a year ago where North Dakota leads the country on people who work multiple, two or three different jobs, um, so we do see those folks here in North Dakota. Is there a lot of turnover, though? I, I was talking to Cindy about these service jobs. Some of them don't pay, obviously, what some of these skilled trades pay. So do people move on and they have to be filled and filled and filled? Or? Yeah, um, we, we see that, you know. And, and again, people get into a certain, a certain job, and that's what we always encourage uh, somebody that's unemployed, not to just wait for that dream job, but to get back into the mainstream, the workforce mainstream, and take that first available job, and then you know, kind of build it, build from there. Um, you know, take that entry level job and, and keep looking, keep building your resume, um, developing your skills, workforce skills. Do some of that networking, uh, networking with this company, or maybe it's a new a new friend you you learned on the job or you met on the job, and then they might know something going on another job, and, and it, just uh, you know, pretty much always looking to improve your workforce skills. Again, I was up at. I- ndworkforceintelligence.com, and I came across uh, uh, a report that was uh, average wages in 2011. It was the North Dakota average hourly wage for various uh, occupational groups, like management was at the top. That was $42.31 an hour was the hourly wage in 2011. And at the bottom was building and grounds, cleaning, and personal care and services, that child care workers, janitors, and cleaners, that kind of thing. That... Uh, suggests that there's been some upward pressure on wages. Uh, is North Dakota becoming a, a little better place to make a, make a good living? I think so. Uh, and I started the job service uh, coming up on six years ago, and I think our, our average annual wage then was right at 33000 And now uh, at the end of 20, I think it came out the middle of 2012, we're pushing that 40000 mark. So definitely our wages are increasing. And uh, a lot of that is is we can... Look to the western part of the state, you know, and, and see the wages out there a little bit higher, and that's driving the wages in the central and even the eastern part uh, of the state. I was also looking at a map of the state uh, that uh, describes North Dakota County supply demand rates. That's unemployed per job opening. For example, Williams County has two tenths of a percent, or two tenths of a percent un- unemployed per job opening. <laughs> that's that's pretty small. That's a pretty small number. Yeah, it is small. And if you you know you take a look at our statewide map and you divide up the counties, um, our unemployment rate is just you know our our state unemployment rate is low. I mean it's the lowest in the country and has been I think for about two and a half years now. And right now we're at three point three percent. But if you look at some of our oil patch companies, 
or companies, um, counties, uh, Williams County, 0.9%, Slope, 1.5%, Stark, 2%, and then even moving to the central part of the state, we're all right around that 3%. And, you know, it is a lot of um, unfilled jobs out there that, that uh, we need to try to get people to fill those. Okay. Uh, well, you're, you've got two job fairs coming up. Uh, Cindy, you had a dozen in January. Uh, how many are you going to have in February? Um, we have... Two scheduled. We have one today and another one just scheduled um, for next week. And then um, in March, we've got three scheduled plus the the, the big multi-level or the multi-level the multi one with the, all of the companies. What are you looking for in the job uh, uh, fair today? Today, it is a um, air traffic um, company that is here. Okay, they're out of, out of Denver, and they're looking for customer service, uh, aircraft mechanics, and um, general laborers for a couple of programs that they have running. Now, you mentioned, Sandy, that you you have about 100 people coming into your office every day uh, looking for work. Uh, How many people are there besides you to deal with these folks? Um, Excuse me. Well, we've kind of gotten hit with the flu bug, but there's nine in our office will be nine. We've just hired a couple more people that will be starting soon. So job service is itself a growth industry. Yes, we are. <laughs> okay. Do you agree, Phil? <laughs> uh, yeah, and we've seen some turnover in Williston, uh, and we're, you know, we're doing our best. Actually, uh, we took a position out of, Biz- out of our Bismarck office and moved it into Williston. We also uh, took a position out of our Dickinson office and moved it into Williston to keep up with the demand up there. Uh, but back to our job fairs that you're talking about with Cindy, you know, I urge people to go on our website, jobsnd.com, and check out our daily job fairs. You know, they're not, not the mega job fairs that we're going to have on March 28th and April 4th, but we have these smaller job fairs. You know, it seems like about every day in one of our offices across the state, um, like Cindy mentioned, they had uh, a job fair there. We had two companies in our office here in Bismarck today. Um, it, it's an ongoing thing. The companies come in, they kind of set up a, a little bit of, about what their company's about, and, and then they just, the folks walk in, the customers walk in, and, and, and sometimes it's just interviews on the spot. I know we had a transportation company in our office today, and they were hiring on the spot for drivers. So, um, again, I urge people to go on our website and take a look. It's, it's, it pretty much changes every day. All right. And that's uh, jobservicend.com? Jobsnd.com. Jobsnd.com. Even yeah, easier. Bet. Very good. Phil Davis, Area Manager for Job Service North Dakota. He's based in Bismarck. And Cindy Sanford, a Service Manager in Williston. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. We sure appreciate it. Thank you. Natural North Dakota is next. Tonight's television lineup on Prairie Public starts with Nature, the final episode in the series featuring wildlife filmmaker David Attenborough. Then at 8 Central, Nova presents Building Pharaoh's Chariot. And at 9, Life on Fire takes us to the Tonga Archipelago in the South Pacific. Tune in tonight on Prairie Public. I think that's a little Mendelssohn. At any rate, uh, it's Alan Lefevre, David Lefevre, and Paul Archibald 
uh, on an Electa CD. Beautiful music. Well, Natural North Dakota it comes to us from Chuck Laura, who uh, teaches biology at Dakota College at Botano, and today he tells us how you can get involved with the great backyard bird count. Do you enjoy bird watching? Would you volunteer a few minutes of your time to help scientists better understand the population dynamics and movements of birds in your area? If so, the great backyard bird count might be just the thing for you. The count is coming up Friday, February 15th through Monday the 18th. It's a joint project of the Cornell University Lab of Ornithology and the National Audubon Society. Those of you that watch birds have certainly noticed that the abundance and diversity of bird species in and around your homes and feeders during winter can be quite variable. Scientists are trying to get a better understanding of these differences across North America. With your help, they can obtain some real-time data on where the birds are each year during four days in February. Last year, volunteers in the United States and Canada turned in over 104,000 checklists which documented the location and abundance of 17 million birds, representing 623 bird species in all states as well as those of the Canadian provinces and territories. Here in North Dakota, volunteers submitted 137 checklists from 40 locations, documenting over 19,000 birds of 56 different species, ranging from snowy owls and golden eagles to northern cardinals and golden-crowned kinglets. Amateur birders are providing valuable information that enables scientists to better understand what's going on with our feathered friends. Participating is easy, and you don't have to be a bird expert. As their website notes, participating is as easy as one, two, three. You just count birds in your area for at least 15 minutes for as many of the days as you like, count the greatest number of individuals of each species you see together at any one time, and when you're finished, submit your results. You can check out the Great Backyard Bird Count website at birdcount.org. You'll find all the information necessary to participate, as well as lots of good information on the project and birds in general. They even have a special section for kids, and the bird count could be a great school or class project. I'm Chuck Lara. Natural North Dakota is supported in part by the NDSU Central Grasslands Research Extension Center and Dakota College at Botneau. You can read and hear today's story at prairiepublic.org. This is Here It Now on Prairie Public, and uh, that was Chuck Laura coming up. We're going to talk with Adnan uh, Accuse. He is a soil scientist at NDSU, also the state climatologist, and he runs the North Dakota Agricultural Weather Network as well. So he knows all things weather connected with North Dakota and, most importantly, all things climate. And then later on, Ashley Thornburg will join me. She took a visit, uh, took a trip up to Grand Forks to see the Myra Museum, and uh, she's full of information about what she saw. So that's all coming up, but first, the news. This is Here It Now on Prairie Public. I'm Doug Hamilton, and we're going to talk about the weather and actually the climate piece of the weather with North Dakota State climatologist Dr. F. Adnan Accuse. He is also in the soil science area at NDSU and uh, also works with the North Dakota Agricultural Weather Network, as I understand. Yes, I do. All right. Well, do historical and contemporary data uh, indicate any shift in the climate of the upper Great Plains? Um, it does, actually. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the last uh, uh, instrumental era uh, since 1890, uh, we have about 118 years of uninterrupted data for uh, many locations in North Dakota, uh, including Fargo. Um, and when you look at that data, you will see that the uh, uh, steady increase in temperature 
and, and perhaps no increase in precipitation. And some of these increase in temperature is one of the largest in the nation. Well, how, how much of an increase in temperature are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about 1.6 degree Fahrenheit per uh, century. So uh, what does that mean climatologically? Well, uh, what it means is uh, when you have increased temperature, especially in the growing season uh, in North Dakota, uh, given that it's a farming or the farm uh, the state, and we are the breadbasket of the uh, United States, and the corn, for example, requires a lot of heat uh, in order to mature. Um, about 100 years ago, perhaps the corn wasn't possible. It wasn't feasible to grow in North Dakota. But because of the temperature increase and additional growing degree days that might require for the corn to grow, and it is possible today in, in North Dakota to uh, grow corn, for example. Well, you said the temperature has increased over this uh, uh, period since 1890 or so, and, and, but the precipitation has not. What are the implications of that? Well, um, it is logical to think that when you increase the temperature, uh, it's, uh, air, it allows air to hold more water vapor, uh, but we are talking about small amount of increases in the volume in which the water vapor can be hold. Uh, when you look at the data, and unfortunately, you will not see any significant increase uh, in precipitation. And our precipitation in North Dakota, for example, still ranges between uh, 21 inch uh, annually in the southeast and 15 inch to the northwest, and it has never changed during the past uh, 100 years. Well, well, maybe we should just back up a bit and talk about where we are in terms of the climate of the Earth. Our location geographically or physically on the planet makes a difference. Yeah, it is pretty unique. Uh, Fargo, for example, uh, lies uh, 47 degree north latitude, and it is fair to say that the North Dakota is in between uh, the 45 degree north and perhaps 49 degree north uh, latitudes. Uh, it is, it's a lot of distance from equator. When, and when you have a location far away from the equator, sun will never be 90 degree to that location. So it's given that that location is not going to be as warm as some of the other locations, um, say, in the equatorial regions. However, that doesn't mean the summertime temperatures are not going to go as high. <laughs> uh, we live sure. in a place, our record high temperature is even uh, the greater than the one in Texas. So uh, if the viewers or the listeners are uh, hearing this and you have a friend in Texas, you can brag about our temperatures being higher than Texas. For example, Texas's record high temperature is only 120 degree Fahrenheit. But in one occasion in North Dakota in 1936, uh, steel temperature happens to be 121 degree Fahrenheit. Incidentally, this, this is really interesting that the annual record low temperature has to happen in the same year, 1936. Yes. In uh, February, uh, unfortunately, this is another town, but which is within 100-mile radius, uh, the mar- partial North Dakota had minus 60 degrees, which is happening in the same years. If you do a quick math, you're going to realize that our annual temperature range is 181 degree Fahrenheit, which is the largest temperature range in a given year in the world. So we live in a very continental climate. Uh, This is the exact definition of continental climate. Summer times can be very hot. Winter time can be uh, very cold. And and, uh, listeners can testify that too. And when it gets very cold, the air gets very dry. And and I I remember when I was younger being told that in, in hard, on a hard winter day, 
at this latitude, it can be drier than the Sahara. Yeah, absolutely. You just hit the right spot. Uh, most people would think that the, uh, the ice and the snow, and you wouldn't think that it would be dry. But in, in fact, we are one of the driest. And in fact, climatologically, we are in the semi-arid regions. Uh, our, our climate is pretty dry, and, and we define the dryness in terms of the amount of moisture in the atmosphere, which is uh, measured by the dew point temperature. Our dew point temperatures in the summertime is pretty comfortable. Uh, It ranges between 45 to 50 degrees. And in fact, if it reaches the 55 degree, even it makes the TV meteorologist uncomfortable. (laughs) And I've heard this many times, and they say, oh, my gosh, it is muggy, folks. 55 degrees is nothing really compared to uh, some of the other locations in the Midwest. All right. What are the implications of climate change in terms of our behavior? Uh, For example, uh, can all of this or any of this shift be uh, explained as due to natural causes, or is there a human component to this warming? Um, It is both. All uh, gets into the impact into the changing climate. Uh, We are changing the climate by um, putting water vapor in the air. Uh, We are changing the climate by putting carbon dioxide in the air. We are changing the climate by putting uh, chlorofluorocarbon, nitrous oxide. Any of these are the particles that reside in the atmosphere. Um, we, we do have an impact. At the same time, the nature has a big impact too. Uh, for example, changing the landscape, changing the land cover, how the solar energy is reaching the ground, and how the ice and the, uh, the water is interacting, and how the atmosphere is interacting with these has all to do with the changing climate. And if you look at these natural and man-made uh, the climate changes, um, and most people put numbers into it, but I, I am pretty skeptical of these numbers because it is almost impossible to separate one effect from the others. The uh, problem of predicting climate, is it easier to predict the future for climate than it is weather? Um, it is not easy. It is very difficult. And unfortunately, most people do predict what is going to happen during the next three months and next one year and next uh, several years in advance by looking at what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, what happened in the past can only be characterized by the data happens in the past. And as soon as you extrapolate that data into the future, you run into a problem because there is no reason for me to believe that what happened in the past uh, is going to repeat in the future. So we run into a lot of problems using this kind of uh, statistical model predicting what's going to happen in the future. Uh, that, that's a big problem. So it, it's a little dicey to, to predict how our climate will have changed by the end of the 21st century. Yes, uh, we, we know that uh, we are warming uh, today, and we have warmed in the past. For example, during the last medieval, uh, the warming area, and people uh, probably thought this, the earth is going to warm uh, forever uh, because there is no indication it is slowing down. For 550 years period, uh, the earth warmed, and all of a sudden we came into uh, the Little Ice Age, uh, which, which happens to last about another uh, three to 400 years. So there was no indication during the hype of the uh, medieval warming. Uh, people wouldn't forecast that the cooling might return. Um, it, it, we might be able to say the same thing. We have been warming for the past 100 years. It is very hard to predict what is the end of this warming uh, if the 
uh, and other ice ages going to uh, follow this warming period. Well, the discussion of climate change and the implications on the economy and the, the lives of people and uh, where they live and that kind of thing have been going on now for quite a while. Uh, and occasionally we hear the, the term tipping point. Uh, what does that mean to a climatologist? Uh, that tipping point is, uh, is really uh, the, the key. If, if we can predict what that tipping point would be, and we would be able to say the Earth's uh, average temperature would have been that, and, and it is not going to increase from that point on. And from that point on, Earth's climate is going to be uh, cooling down. So it is very hard, very hard for us to predict that tipping point, what that tipping point would be very hard to predict. What? We have indications that there's some ice melting where we didn't expect it to decades ago. Uh, we have indications uh, that there might be some other changes to the normal structure of the way the jet stream moves or the way this, <laughs> all these interactions go on. Uh, are we to make any kind of policy implications out of that or just to observe it? Uh, there are a lot of policy implications that is uh, in place, um, I am sure, and, and every uh, – uh, administration comes in power, uh, try to uh, modify or uh, uh, create a new policy for that. Um, and, and you have to understand or give them credit that even the scientists don't agree uh, about the, what the, uh, the current uh, level is and what the forecast would be. So it is uh, highly difficult for um, an administration to uh, adopt uh, a good uh, policy that fits uh, all um, so it is, it is really very difficult. What's your take on greenhouse gas emissions? Um, greenhouse, uh, most people would think that the greenhouse uh, effect is uh, a bad guy. Uh, and in fact, uh, without the greenhouse effect, the Earth's average temperature would have been uh, zero degree Fahrenheit or minus 18 degree uh, the centigrade. Um, but too much of a greenhouse effect uh, doesn't mean it is, uh, it is beneficial uh, either. Uh, one of the most important greenhouse uh, component is water vapor. And unfortunately, it is impossible to regulate water vapor uh, because water evaporates from the ocean and it condenses and becomes rain. So you can take away and add water vapor into the atmosphere in a matter of a day. So um, uh, the reason for water vapor is water vapor is a better greenhouse gas. It absorbs more outgoing uh, earth radiation. So the water vapor is more effective than carbon dioxide. The reason why people uh, pick on carbon dioxide is once you put the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it takes more than 100 years to uh, take it away. Uh, it is very difficult to um, add or subtract carbon dioxide. Its effect would still be uh, seen even though you reduce the, uh, the amount of carbon dioxide put in the atmosphere. The, its impact may have been seen during the next uh, 100 years. Can climate change be stopped? I mean, it's, again, we're talking about a natural process but with maybe some human components. Is it realistic to think that we can actually affect climate change? Yeah, ab absolutely. There are natural um, uh, feedbacks uh, that gets into the climate system, which becomes very difficult. For example, let's talk about carbon dioxide. When you increase the ocean surface temperatures, and which, which we are increasing the temperature, and oceans are the biggest sink for carbon. In other words, oceans are our savior, that uh, it is going to take most of that amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and uh, dissolve it into the oceans. But when the ocean temperatures are 
greater, the oceans become less capable of taking carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So it creates a positive feedback. When you increase the ocean temperatures, it becomes less capable. So more, more carbon dioxide stays in the atmosphere and it creates more warming. More warming becomes more ocean temperatures, and, and you get the picture. You get a positive feedback. And you might think that where the negative feedback is going to come from. When you, for example, um, increase the ocean temperatures, you also increase evaporation. You more add more water vapor in the atmosphere, and that's another positive feedback. But when you add more water e- vapor in the atmosphere, that means it is going to have more clouds um, in the atmosphere. And, and more clouds mean more trap of the incoming solar radiation. Uh, that, that creates a negative feedback. So when you introduce any cooling and the oceans become more capable of holding carbon dioxide, this time you create another positive feedback to take more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere too. So um, it, it kind of has its own way of taking and putting away uh, carbon dioxide to maintain the Earth's temperature at where it is currently. Well, let's just take it one more step, though. We've got an awful lot of sequestered carbon that we take out of the ground, and, and we burn it up in our cars and our airplanes and trains, and that's the oil and the coal. Uh, does that make a difference, or is that just the small player in terms of all of the carbon that's in the atmosphere from natural processes? Uh, it's, it certainly does a lot of... Um, uh, Increasing the natural uh, emission of the carbon, uh, we we certainly burn a lot of uh, oil. Um, we we drive a lot, uh, and in fact, uh, most American families do have one or two cars. And unfortunately, we drive every place. We are we gotta accept that we are putting a lot of carbon dioxide, but uh, the carbon dioxide we put into uh, the natural causes in even more uh, proportion. Um, it has been put into atmosphere in the past, and we are putting uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Uh, at the current temperatures, carbon dioxide can only trap 10% of the outgoing Earth radiation. That means even if you take everything out of the atmosphere, take 78% nitrogen, take 21% oxygen out of the picture, and put 100% of the carbon dioxide, it can only trap... 10% of the outgoing Earth radiation. Uh, on the other hand, water vapor, it is more abundant in the atmosphere and it is more capable of holding the outgoing Earth radiation. The water vapor, in a sense that it is more responsible for um, greenhouse effect. It is more responsible for uh, the warming the Earth. It is more responsible for... Uh, it, let me change the word the responsible. Um, I, I would say taking the credit because, it, again, without the greenhouse effect, the Earth's temperature would have been uh, impossible for us to live. All right. Well, Dr. Adnan Akius, uh, thank you very much for sharing your expertise with us today. North Dakota State climatologist. He works at NDSU where he teaches in the soil sciences area. Also runs the North Dakota Agricultural Weather Network. Coming up next, a trip to the Myra Museum in Grand Forks with Ashley Thornburg. Hello, I'm Merrill Pepcorn, inviting you to attend the next live performance of Dakota Air, the radio show, 2 p.m. Saturday afternoon, February 16th, the Empire Arts Center in Grand Forks. Special guests are internationally acclaimed violinist and conductor of the UND Chamber Orchestra, Alejandro Drago, and the Chamber Orchestra will be there, too. And we'll be celebrating the newfound fame and celebrity of Grand Forks Herald columnist Marilyn Haggerty. Tickets at the Empire or any Grand Forks Gate City Bank. Dakota Air, Saturday afternoon, February 16th in Grand Forks. 
This is Here It Now on Prairie Public. I'm Doug Hamilton. Ashley Thornburg joins me in studio because she took a road trip to the Myra Museum in Grand Forks and got her eyes filled with history, including finding out little tidbits about cream of wheat and Nash Finch. That kind of stuff. I learned that those are North Dakota-born and bred enterprises. And I was a little bit surprised to learn that. Cream of wheat. I grew up eating that. <laughs> that and multimeal. <laughs> but, well, uh, I preferred it to oatmeal, that's for <laughs> sure, especially the chocolate stuff. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, yes, that is a North, North Dakota-based and specifically a Grand Forks-based company along with uh, Nash Finch, who if you've ever gone to the grocery store and bought our family products, you are supporting the Nash Finch, Finch Company, uh, the country's only state-owned mill and elevator and bank. Those are both in North Dakota. Um, the the state-owned uh, mill, that goes back to a time when um, egg commodities weren't necessarily being regulated. So what was going on is wheat would get on the train in Grand Forks, and it was, you know, grade three. This is only good enough to feed cattle. Okay. And magically, by the time it got to Minneapolis-St. Paul, it was a higher grade, and so they were able to sell it for a lot more. And so the North Dakota farmers stood up and said, this isn't right. You're not treating us fairly. There was a bit of an uprising. And now, to this day, still the only state-owned mill and elevator. The things you learn things when you go you to learn. a museum. Yes, and I learned this and so much more spending an afternoon at the Grand Forks County Historical Society. It's not so much a job for me. This is my hometown, and so I like to educate people and when this especially in the spring when the elementary school kids are coming I like to share stories with them about Grand Forks and what I think is special about Grand Forks. For Leah Bezeski, a love of history is in her blood. It's so ingrained in her she's not even sure just exactly how long she's been involved with the Grand Forks County Historical Society. I would have to look into the official records. From visiting as a young student to volunteering she's now serving as the executive director. One of her main goals is making history come alive. With so many of the visitors coming from local schools, she knows just what stories keep them interested, like the one involving the prominent Grand Forks physician, Dr. Henry Wheeler. When the Jesse James gang went to Northfield and tried to rob the bank, Henry Wheeler was there, and he was one of the people who shot and killed a member of the gang. It's a story about somebody from Grand Forks, and it's... You know, got murder and mayhem, and and they like that, and so they never quite know what's going to be the next story. So they're they're paying attention, and and that's something I kind of pride myself on being a good storyteller. Sometimes, and it's not just you know the following the chronology of the history, which could get kind of boring. We try to hit some of the more exciting stories. As is true of many cities, it's a proximity to water to thank for its origins. Early traces of the city followed the west bank of the Red River, where Native Americans hunted buffalo and fish. Much of the later settlement of Grand Forks is thanks to advances in transportation along important trade routes. First with the steamboats, then the railroad, and most recently, the interstate. Transportation links are always important because goods have to flow from point A to point B. And then, of course, there's a handful of prominent citizens who shaped the course of Grand Forks. Our founder, Alexander Griggs, was a steamboat captain. He and James J. Hill had the idea to start this line of steamboats on the Red River. George Walsh, Walsh County, is named after him. He's a brother-in-law of Captain Griggs. 
They started the first store here. Griggs donated land for the first church congregations to be built here. William Budge and George Winship, the founder of the Grand Forks Herald, in the 18, late 1860s, they ran a stagecoach station where Manville is today. It was William Budge who donated the land to start the University of North Dakota. Churches, higher education, hubs of arts and culture, established medical practices, and law enforcement, these are some of the hallmarks of an established city, a city Bezesky tirelessly promotes, most recently by focusing on revamping the Myra Museum, one of the six buildings on Grand Forks County Historical Society grounds. It's named after John Myra, and its existence fulfills another classic sign of society, philanthropy. Mr. Myra became one of the largest landowners in Grand Forks County, but when he passed away in 1939, his family had died before him. His wife passed away, their children had died when they were small, and he had no close family to leave this fortune to. And so he created the Myra Foundation, and I believe it's the first charitable foundation founded in North Dakota. With money earned from renting Myra's land, the foundation supports the continued improvement of the area. They support programs at the public library, the YMCA, our cultural organizations. The money has to be spent in Grand Forks County. The Historical Society uses some of the grant money it receives to keep up with maintenance, as well as the Times. The museum is about to get a modern makeover. The Historical Society is working with a Minnesota-based firm that specializes in museum layouts. It's part of an effort to change the layout to reflect the ever-evolving way that people learn. That's a little bit daunting in a way when you when you look at it, but then you just take it a bite at a time. Like the history makers before her, Bezeski knows progress is possible by keeping your feet on a strong foundation with your eyes looking forward to the future. If they could come and see what has happened today, I think... We've done far beyond probably what they expected. And they have some other buildings there, right? They certainly do. There are six buildings in total on the grounds. In um, There's the Myra's Museum, of course, and then there's also the original building, the Campbell House, named for Thomas Campbell, Jr., who was a major player in agriculture in the early 1900s. He was also the first person to get an engineering degree from UND, and that oh. was in 1904. There's a carriage house with uh, a 1929 Ford Model A, an 1880s Surrey, and a grain wagon. They have um, an example of a Lustrin house, which is a one-story ranch-style home. Um, the one that they have happens to be the first prefab home in the area. And there's a post office and a schoolhouse. It costs uh, $3 for kids 10 to 15 to go and $5 for adults. Uh, kids under 10 are free. Grounds are open May 15th to September 15th from 1 to 5. Or, like me, you can set up an appointment to go see the Myra Museum in the winter. All right. Well, that's an interesting place to check out, and I will. Dakota Date Book is coming up. When you hear arts programming here on Prairie Public, know that it is supported in part by the North Dakota Council on the Arts, and we thank them. This is Dakota Date Book for February 6th. There had never been such joy at St. John's Hospital in Fargo as there was on February 6, 1941. That's the day Ella Brown gave birth to North Dakota's first surviving quadruplets, a girl and three boys. Nick and Ella Brown lived at a farm near Leonard, where Nick also operated a nearby service station. With four other sons, ages 12, 10, 3, and 16 months, they now had a family of seven sons and one daughter. 
After an X-ray on December 2nd indicated quadruplets, Ella Brown was hospitalized with only a brief trip home for Christmas. Finally, on February 6th, Dr. J.F. Hanna delivered all four babies within five minutes, each weighing around four pounds. A private nursery with four incubators was set up, and because the babies were attracting national attention, it was locked at all times. Only medical personnel in sterile clothing could enter. Mother Ella got her first look at her new children when Dr. Lancaster, an amateur photographer, brought her a copy of the Fargo Forum featuring a large picture he'd taken. She had not seen the babies in person until she left the hospital when they were 16 days old. The brown quadruplets edged out the news of World War II on the front page of the forum for about a week. Readers learned the babies were fed every two hours, alternating between a fraction of an ounce of water and mother's milk donated by other new mothers in the hospital. Family members were photographed and interviewed, no detail too small to report. The happy parents received hundreds of telegrams, letters, and gifts. Early letters suggested creative names for the children, such as Franklin, Delano, Roosevelt, and Eleanor. But Nick and Ella decided on Connie, Clayton, Cleo, and Claire. After 13 months in the hospital, the quadruplets went home to Leonard, where they would grow up. Connie now lives in Breckenridge, Minnesota, where she's involved in civic affairs and enjoys gardening. Clayton farmed the family farm. Cleo became president of the Leonard Fire District. Claire became a plumber in Lisbon and passed away in 2001. The birth of quadruplets at Fargo-St. John's Hospital on this date in 1941 was indeed an exciting event. But the Brown family experienced still another blessing a few years later with the birth of yet another baby, a little sister for Connie. Today's Dakota Date Book was written by Karen Horsley and Meryl Pepcorn. Dakota Date Book is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota, with funding from the North Dakota Humanities Council. Ah, my mother had her four children the old-fashioned way, one at a time. Tomorrow on Hear It Now, a new strain of norovirus strikes quickly. It is very contagious and is even being called dangerous by some. Is this headline hype or a real problem? We get the lowdown from Dr. Augusto Alanto, Sanford Infectious Disease Specialist and Department Chairman, and Joan Cook, Sanford Director of Prevention and Infection Control. And the 164th Infantry Regiment traces its origins to the Dakota National Guard of the late 19th century. A new exhibit at UND commemorates the unit's service in World War II. Kurt Hansen will join us to talk about the 164th Infantry Regiment. And Ashley Thornburg will be back to help me describe what's happening this weekend around the region. In the meantime, have a great evening. <laughs>